What's going on, everyone? My name is Chris Tondewold, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where I interview indie artists, content creators, athletes, and small business owners who share how they continually discover and maintain a balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. In this episode, I welcome Gabe and Travis of the Austin, Texas-based band Fortune Hearts. I've known Gabe for a little bit through his old band and former guest on the show, Audio Strobe Light, but it was my first time meeting Travis and it was great. We go over their history, Travis's time as part of the punk scene in Japan, Gabe's experience with playing with a professional 70s cover band on top of mountains, sobriety and the reasons for it, along with the way technology affects the writing process. Check out Fortune Heart's latest video for When You're Here, Your Family, animated by Charles Ray Hastings, aka Solo Monk, which is fantastic. I'll have all of Fortune Heart's links in the show notes per usual. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and share the show if you can. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. We got the the new Fortune Hearts EP that just came out, what, like uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? Uh, it's been more of like, it's less of like an EP, and it's more just like we're just running like a cycle of songs, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, like a collection of singles almost. Yeah, we're doing the whole you know, water falling thing. We have a bunch of songs kind of in the tank and we're releasing them as they, you know, get mixed, get mastered and get ready to go and share. That's been a a thing that I keep seeing more and more is that they are doing more of that waterfall, really getting into just releasing singles for the most part. Like that seems to be the the biggest direction that everybody is going in rather than doing the, the full albums. Yeah. It's something we've been noticing from a lot of bands, like especially bands that I rec- I really like admire. I was talking to uh, Adam from Strobe Light, and I was talking to uh, yeah. Brian from uh, the band Dead Friends, also out of Hampton Roads, and I was chatting with them about kind of just how things are happening, where the album model really isn't doing it for people anymore, and like the algorithms coming from like Spotify, especially they're just not right. Like if you release a whole bunch of music all at the same time it just doesn't hold the same weight in their system. So just being able to trickle things out just gets you more traction over a longer time period, you know? Yeah. Audio Strobe Light, when I interviewed them, they were actually talking about the really the, the singles and building a whole world around a song, which I really, really like that idea of, which I think that you guys have done, especially with the, the most recent with the, the I forget the the name of the song when you're here your family that's it yeah because yeah. all i could think about was olive garden when i saw that uh, yeah. every single time <laughs> <laughs> so i saw that because that's it, it's it's almost like a whole experience for just one song now which i think is a really smart way of doing it because of the algorithm of it all but also just the way that people are nowadays that we don't have a whole lot of time to really sit down with something i feel like and really that that instant connection is what matters the most well it's just the way we consume media now i mean think of tiktok you know you watch a 30 second clip and if that and then just you know scroll up onto the next one the attention span is different than the days when you bought a cd and just listened to it front to back front to back front to back until the next cd came out from that artist yeah like it's wild like i i see uh how TikTok's becoming this like wild beast of a platform just for just about everything. Like Haley and I were talking about it. Uh, my girlfriend, Haley, she, uh, she's a screenwriter, does comedy, stuff like that. 
that there's this weird field where people are starting to make, they're taking the medium going beyond like things like sketch comedy, things like, you know, going beyond things that are like makeup tutorials and making like short form documentaries and yeah. putting them into, you know, six parts where it's three minutes a shot. But then, you know, next thing you know, you've watched 18, 20 minutes of something and it's well produced, but it's meant to go on this thing that people used to do dance videos for, right? <laughs> which is bananas. Like that's ridiculous, but that's just the landscape that we're in right now. Well, it's funny because there was there was a whole streaming platform that tried that in Quibi. Quibi tried doing that. I don't know if you guys are, are hip to that at all, but it, it died really quickly because they were trying to do too much with 30 seconds. Uh, I, I forgot about Quibi. That's I did too. The- yeah. uh, it got towards the end. I have T-Mobile and they were giving away Quibi subscriptions in the last like three months. They're just like, nobody could take them. Funny story. I played... Uh, CEO of uh, Quibi, Meg Whitman. I played her son's wedding on her mountain in Colorado once. That's amazing. Yeah. Really small world, but also amazing because I don't know if you get most of those like extra instances of being like, oh shit, I'm on a mountain playing music in front of super rich people, it feels like, right? Like those, that doesn't happen often. Uh, You would think with my old job, it would happen more often than you'd think. No, this, this freaking guy. (laughs) the amount of just like stories that Gabe has from touring from with his day job as you know a 70s cover band former day job former day it was like oh yeah and then we played the stage where we like rose out from the center and we're in the what was it Disney World no it was the House of Blues at Disney World oh sorry yeah (laughs) For an event that I'm not allowed, I had to sign an NDA to talk. I can't talk about it on any wow. kind of things about it. But it was fun. I broke a guitar that night. Not intentionally. I literally walked <laughs> on stage and my found out my legally blind boss tripped over my guitar and the neck had been oh. broken. So I had to play a four-hour set straight with a gaff tape guitar. Yeah, getting getting back on topic, like with the talking about like Quibi and like that whole short form, like the idea of like for them, the problem was they were forcing the medium. They yeah. were saying, okay, we're going to make this these really elaborate films in some cases. I remember they made a film with uh, the kid from Ready Player One where you could watch it in horizontal or vertical format on your phone. And they shot it both ways. But you couldn't put it on your television. Right. You couldn't cast it. You, you couldn't stream. do anything. That was just because more people are consuming media over phone than TV. No. Yeah. That that was yeah. the whole idea about it. I always think it's like once once something gets to the mainstream where it gets like forced into the mainstream, then it's completely dead, which is what happened with Quibi. Like they just forced it like what you're saying too, too much. They had a lot of money behind it, which I really liked the oh, idea. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the the fact that, oh, yeah, we're going to have content where I guess I'll just look at my phone right side up instead of horizontal the entire time, because I think they did Reno 911 on there too yeah which is nuts to me glad that it's back in like actual tv because it's fun but it was it was just really weird that they just forced all this to happen and they were trying to do prestige on what is basically a very much an underground phenomenon that just took off and that's most of the stories that you hear about right like people with money trying to take advantage of it seeing dollar signs and then just killing it at the same time yeah, I, I watched a documentary. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. I had to watch this in college and it was about how the company, the parent, I believe I may be misspeaking here, that Hot Topic 
Abercrombie and Fitch and a couple other like major clothing retails retailers have the same parent company. And uh, they have a whole procedure for this thing where it's like they'll send people out to events, concerts, stuff like this. Like this dates this documentary because they were at the height of like Slipknot. <laughs> they were going to a Slipknot concert and like showing people who are outside of it. But they take pictures of what people who seem like they would now would be considered influencers. Yeah. And then say, okay, we need to in figure out ways to inject this new thing into next year's line of stuff. Fall this lineup quarter, next yeah, year. Yeah. And then the idea is to capture it, inject it, kill it, <laughs> make it uncool. They actually use the word kill it and then come back to a new cycle. So it's like when people say, oh, these things are coming back around again. That's not by mistake. That's insane. A lot of this stuff is like it's calculated. It's very weird. Uh, it's weird how people ingest this kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's wild. And it, it's always it's always also weird to know that it's not really Big Brother that's watching. It's like the big corporations that are watching about everything, just trying to be like, ooh, money. Ooh, there's money. There's an option for it. Uh, profits, right? That's 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 what what it always is. That's that's fucking wild. I, I didn't even know about that because that makes sense in a really scummy way and I don't like it. That's that's all of capitalism. Yeah, you don't like it. <laughs> no, I don't like it. I don't like it. I live with it, but I don't like it. Those are like, "Oh, I heard that and you know what? Thumbs up for me." <laughs> no, I mean, capitalism profits. <laughs> yeah, well, I I won't say, you know, capitalism. I, I'll say people taking advantage of a situation and profiting off of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's not yeah. great. <laughs> I, th I think we can all agree that's but, not great. <laughs> fucking wham. <laughs> it's like I just felt the the buttholes of a million Republicans just all clench at the same time. <laughs> is that what this chill is? Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's something that I would embrace quite a bit. Like the the worst that I always think about is like Nestle and their their thing with water and how they're <laughs> oh, just draining yeah. all of California. While they're oh, yeah. with all the fires. So it's it's a wild life. That's for sure. It's a wild world. Yeah, that's something that like I noticed as especially during like the height of uh, like touring, stuff like that, doing that whole experience. And this is going to sound weird, but it's like it makes it uh, almost impossible for things like, you know, ethical capitalism. Like you yeah. just can't like all of a sudden you find out this thing that you've been supporting for a while is like, you know, clubbing baby seals. And that's just <laughs> a thing you find out. <laughs> and like, that's just a, a, a shitty thing to find out, but it's like, Oh, okay. Like this is, this is what it is. Well, how else are you going to get the fur in that, that moment? Right. You gotta, you gotta, that's where they get all the oils is with a different club. That's, that's how that gets in there. Is that what that flow ride it's always about? <laughs> the boots with the fur, with the fur. It's about. Yeah, that's, that's it. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just pop culture making something cool lame. That's how that works, I think. Yeah. I didn't say that clubbing baby cool seals were cool, but, you know, it's the whole, yeah, but the whole the thing. Yeah, the hashtag I followed did. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag clubbing baby seals. Hashtag clubbing baby ha seals. Hashtag <laughs> in nice club. <laughs> <laughs> a nice club, a nice club where there's a dress code and everything. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Apple bottom jeans. That's what <laughs> brought it all the way back around. Travis. Thanks dude. Appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> Scene. Well, I just, so 
I started watching Servant on Apple TV, and one of the the scenes is this dude uh, making food out of an eel, and it's a very jarring because they just kill it right in the kitchen by slamming it against the counter, and it was unsettling. The whole show was unsettling, but that that part was was rough because then they skin it alive, and it's not great. Well, so this is the first time for us meeting each other. Yeah. You know, you have some history from Gabe. I grew up in Japan. Okay. So you're used to it? Unagi is great. But yeah, they go and they have a nail through the head. Yeah. And then, and then that's how you do it. Well, how else would you do it? Doing it for centuries. That's how you eat. I don't know. I wasn't prepared. So um, I went back uh, with these two dudes from Austin uh, probably about four years ago. And I t- took them to this restaurant where you get a discount on your sushi or sashimi. You catch the fish. And they had tanks and fishing poles where you could go and catch the fish, right? So if you're talking fresh, this is it. And so we went and caught these fish. And then this guy took a net over like, oh, congratulations. Cool. We'll be right. And it's a clear like plexiglass thing to all the sushi chefs in the back. And they just took this fish by the tail and go, wham! (laughs) (laughs) Smack it down. Whoa! (laughs) And five minutes later, you have this filet fish with the freshest sushi you've ever had. Well, uh... This is great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's like moving on your plate. I've seen Old Boy. I don't. I don't need to see. I don't, I don't, I don't need to see the, the food movie whatsoever. Like all, all of that is not great. But hey, you know, you know, respect cultures. Yeah, I mean, octopus is apparently great. Calamari's good. Uh, I don't want it squirming in my mouth the entire way. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Okay. But I, I can't. I can't think of another way that I've seen prepared that's that's <laughs> yeah where you just bludgeon them with the counter and then slice them open while they're still alive well you don't want them to get away <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're right so you nail them to the oh okay all right uh that's fantastic yeah yeah i wasn't prepared for it last night and i'm not prepared for it today so that's that's uh <laughs> well Speaking of Japan, because I, I want to get into both of your histories, because I, I definitely want to talk more about Fortune Hearts and the direction that that's going to go into. Because for for you, Gabe, I feel like it's a whole new reset with the the moving to Texas, new band, new almost a whole new everything. Uh, where I think you experienced an ice blizzard for like the first time in Texas history, which is insane. Yeah, that was uh, that was a lot. Um, I could start from the beginning here, I guess, yeah, if you want. Sure. So yeah, like back in 2019, my girlfriend Haley got accepted to University of Texas at Austin for a grad program. My family lives here. Like my mom and my sister live out here. And uh, like I went to high school out here. Like I lived out here for a little while as a a teen and stuff. And uh, so this wasn't like it was like an out of the blue. Hey, let's point somewhere in the map and go move. (laughs) It was like, hey, like it just of all the places she could get accepted because she applied a bunch of places she got accepted to. Here in Austin, where I have family, it was like, okay, if this is a sign, I should probably do it. And with Strobe Light, you know, it was one of those things where I've been doing it for so long, but it's also, you know, I wanted to, you know, just try something different life-wise, just try to, you know, just 
it, it was one of those things where if I don't do it now, I don't know when I'm going to do yeah. it. So um, I love those guys. Like I talk to those guys regularly. I literally got off the phone with Adam just before Travis came over today. Like we still talk all the time. I think Ed might be flying out here for our show next week, which is wild. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah. Yeah. And so like, we're still, you know, close and, uh, there's like no bad blood or anything. Yeah. But, uh, I moved out here and, uh, got a job. I was, you know, kind of getting acquainted with the area. Didn't really know anybody ended up doing this thing called punk rock lottery. First person I meet is this guy <laughs> sit down at a picnic table at a punk rock club and we start chatting. Well, so Gabe's wearing a thrice t-shirt and has a streetlight manifesto pin. I'm like, this is a guy I can get along with. Yeah. And so we start like chatting and stuff. And the way punk rock lottery works is. Yeah. Is this speed dating for punks? I, what, what is this? It's basically they, you, you show up, you put in uh, what instrument you play whether okay. you're in a secondary. So like I put in for like vocals and guitar yeah. and then um, they draw out. How many bands was it for? I think it was seven. They drew seven bands from random of vocalist, guitarist, bass player, drummer. And then you have five weeks to write a set in a cover and then perform in a battle of the bands from a band you just created. Well, that's a lot of fun and not stressful at all, right? Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah. <laughs> we won't get into that experience. Especially for people that don't know each other. That's That's got to be fantastic. But like of all the people that were in this competition, the guy I'm sitting directly in front of ends up getting drafted into the band I'm in. And it was like, okay, I guess this is cool. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about your side of this. I just needed to get out. Yeah. So I moved to Austin in 2012. Okay. Um, from Japan. I, I lived there from when I was 11 till I was 26. I was part of the punk rock scene in Japan played in bands over there. And when I moved to the States, I just didn't meet anyone that I connected with uh, musically. And it was just me and my acoustic guitar by myself, you know? So I had a few songs just kind of sitting and I had stopped drinking after a, a hospital visit and I concentrated more and more on music. And this punk rock lottery seemed like the best way to, you know, accelerate the progress of getting into a band yeah and you know i think fortune hearts is proof of that me and gabe just really clicked from that first time just talking to each other yeah exchanged numbers um we had song ideas almost immediately almost immediately yeah that was one of those things where he started just coming over to my place outside of us like meeting as a group right and, uh, like I had just moved to my apartment. I didn't really have any of my like studio gear built up yet. Okay. But we just sort of got a rhythm of how we operate and like start writing songs. And, um, ultimately the two guys we were set up with, it's just, we weren't necessarily, we got through the whole thing, but we weren't gelling too well with them. I won't go into that too much more, even though I know Travis is just itching to <laughs> hop into that. Feel free. There's no filters. It's fine. Respect for the guys. There you go. They're a couple generations older than us. Okay. Let's see. Um, our drummer was kind of in like a garage band. And I think our bass player, this was like the first like real band band that he was going to get into. Okay. And both these men were pushing 60. Oh, that's that's much more of a generational divide than I was thinking. Like 45, um, maybe nice. 50. 
And yeah, well, like I, one one literally had heart surgery. Wow. Like six weeks before we did yeah. the meeting, I think, actually. Like he'd just gotten a pacemaker and, and stuff. And then the other had a liver transplant and he like was one of the the born again uh like AA okay. Okay. type people. Is the whole lot of me and Gabe looking at each other like <laughs> eyebrows yeah. way up high, like, huh, didn't expect that. Yeah. <laughs> But the cool part about it was like, we ended up doing the competition. We came in last, which was fun. I have a medal that says you suck on it, which is great. <laughs> Keeps you humble. It really does. It sure really does. Will. It sure will. But uh, right afterwards, a dude comes up and starts talking to us, asking like, hey, are you guys like outside of this, like, you know, it doing anything together? And uh, we're like, no, we're just trying to do something. He's like, do you want to start something? I, he's like, I've got a friend who uh, he played in the battle playing drums earlier, but he also plays bass. And that ended up being one of the judges who's now our drummer, Tim. And he's the one that tanked you the entire time, right? He He's the yeah. one that that gave you the, the worst score, right? Because he was the judge. Well, so there is a bunch of like you were judged on like band name. And so we called ourselves uh, Take Your Kids to Work Day. Okay, I like it. I like it. And he was the only guy. He said he was like the only guy who really got it. Most people weren't really. Well, well, no it. one got it. And then we all got up on stage and every judge was like, oh, oh yeah, I got it. Yeah. And then like most of the other bands had like gimmicks and stuff. Like one band, the band that won all dressed up like uh, devils and demons and shit. That's a little much. But they're amazing. Like they're incredible. Oh, no, they did really well. One of the bands was called Cop Porn. Cop Porn. Yeah. <laughs> They were all police officers that were scantily clad. Yeah. And uh, it was like, it was all in good fun. Uh, for us, we were just trying to limp to the finish. Right. We were just trying to just at least just say, hey, we got there and we got it. I think what hooked Tim in was because every band did a cover. Okay. Right. And we decided to go kind of like the, uh, the punk goes pop route. All right. And we covered Juice by Lizzo, but we did it. We did it punk rock. And how did the older guys take this? They were like, oh, yeah, Lizzo is a, is that a cool? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just knew she was from Texas and that was pretty much yeah. the extent of okay. it. We, okay. we sold them. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he, he was like, him and his wife, they were like, oh, is that Lizzo? And they picked up on it and he was, he explained to us, he was like, yeah, for a lot, this is way too new for a lot of the people here. They probably didn't realize you were playing a Lizzo too. But he, kind of hooked into that and was like okay you guys can kind of think outside of the box here and uh yeah we started jamming like right after that we ended up splitting up with stuff for christmas and for the holidays and then january we were practicing together yeah we were like writing songs like travis and i were getting into the sync of like because we both had uh line six helixes okay. and we're running logic so we would just email each other like sessions and he'd come over my place and we'd start working out stuff and then you know band started practicing fairly regularly and like we were writing songs we we're gaining some steam and then all of a sudden march 13 happened and uh That'll do it it changed everything yeah and uh we learned how to write and record remotely can you so, talk a little bit more about that process because it's definitely something that i'm i'm interested in as someone all of almost all of last year that all my recordings were digitally for the the yeah. podcast and it all kind of sucked and i wanted to put my head through a wall so I I would imagine it's slightly easier if you guys actually know what you're doing. I didn't. Well, we learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, talk talk a little bit about that because I I would assume that the the steam that you were picking up 
from January to March felt pretty good. And then all of a sudden you're just like, well, this sucks and we don't know what we're going to do. But you got to the other side, which is what I really appreciate. Yeah. At first we were like, all right. So the first thing you try to do is try to record each other in real time, which you find out very quickly doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. No. So, and we tried a bunch of different ways to do it and it just doesn't work. So what we ended up discovering was this thing that's normally meant for getting plugins, like renting or buying plugins, renting and buying keyboard synth sounds and stuff called Splice. Okay. That also has a cloud DAW sharing service that's free. Really? And you can set it up on your computer where it'll automatically sync whatever folder you have with your sessions in it. And as long as the people that are all set as collaborators for it all have the same DAW, when you save, it'll sync on all their computers at the same time. So what we started doing was we would FaceTime each other and then one of us would, we would just, you know, work an idea and then control S Apple S and then wait, <laughs> refresh. And then it's on the other person's computer. Yeah. That's and amazing. then we would just do that back and forth. And then um, our drummer, Tim, he has a Roland TD electric kit in his garage. Okay. Up to a, a Mac. So we would just give him the tracks without drum and he would track the MIDI data to that in GarageBand and then send it to us. And I'd reskin it in Logic using more high quality samples or whatever. Drum samples. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so that was it. We couldn't do this though without the Line 6 Helix is probably the one of the best inventions in the last 10 years. Oh, like, absolutely. We could not do it with makes it so we can we're in my closet. This is my <laughs> studio. And like this is where all the Fortune Hearts material has been recorded. We could not do it without it because I'm able able to emulate having you know some top quality amps cabs yeah. mics all that shit it's not having to have not being able to you know ask my neighbors permission to record yeah because you can personalize it with whatever tone whatever amp whatever preamp that you want in there which is insane to me the the amount of stuff that you can do with that and i know how to play like three chords and it's still like all of this is just incredible and i, I would think you guys have been playing music for a while individually. I would assume this is probably the most technology that you've seen advanced in like the past your life. I would say this is the most technology that's been shoved down my throat out of necessity. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in my life. Okay. Cause he is not, I, I'm a production guy. Like all the strobe white guys, like we were all like with the exception of Adam. Yeah. We're all, you know, production people. I am a guitar into a boost pedal into the amp. <laughs> and that is how every single band I've ever been in was. And it was just out of, man, I wish I could carry all my gear from my car to the stage in one trip. And then I got hooked on the Helix and it was, I got it right after Punk Rock Lottery. Yeah, just, just after. Just after. And it turned out to be the biggest blessing. Like it, it, we could not do, there's no way we would have had the amount of headway we had. And it's like, what's wild about it is like, of what we released, we had so much stuff that we were producing that we didn't use that we basically used as like fodder for learning. Wow. 
we went back and started listening to some of the stuff we were recording in March. We were just trying to learn some of this stuff. And it was like, ah, yeah. <laughs> it makes you do it pretty quick, doesn't it? Because you can hear it in real time, too. Well, and you definitely like, oh, this is before Gabe got his new interface. Oh, this is before, um, you know, Logic Update 3.0. This is, yeah, you know, this is for that. And it's all these, uh, you know, because it literally has been, what, a year and a half almost. A year and a half. Like, again, like March 13th. So, yeah, we're coming up. Wow. And you can see the difference, you know, month by month. And luckily, we have everything cataloged on Gabe's computer where I can see the, the, the progress. Even just between, if you go back, like anybody who's listening, if you go back and listen to... Telephone Romance, yeah, which is the first song that we released, and we shot a video for it, really out of necessity, so we can like get some kind of like presence going. Since we wanted to like, we needed content. We needed content to be able to get things moving. Since we were like, okay, shows aren't happening anymore, right, right. And it's like creating content, all being you know socially distanced and you know doing all the protocols necessary. What's wild is like that us shooting that video for Telephone Romance was the first time we'd all been in the same room in eight months. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. We, we shot it in our drummer's bar. We all were, if you look at everything, we were pretty much exactly six feet apart at all times in the video. And you can do some stuff with camera magic, but that, that probably puts you in a pretty distinct separation from the rest of them because stages are not big for the most part. So that, that's got to be a little weird doing that too, right? Especially for that being the first time that you guys have been in the same room for so long. Well, it was, I mean, shout out to Tyler too. Yeah, the director. Yeah. yeah. Um, he grabbed the camera and he'd like run up to one of us and then run up to the other one and run up to the other one. <laughs> like, yeah, it's high energy, man. <laughs> he made the energy. Like we, had, we were all rusty just from yeah. not playing in, like, in front of people, let alone together. Yeah, like he really brought it. We couldn't have done that without him. What's funny is like both that video and like if you listen to the song, the progress that we made just learning pro like production technique. Yeah. Like getting more advanced and learning what was working and what wasn't. It's a big jump between that and like I'd say back at the beginning, the next song we released. It's like, oh, we learned from this last one. We need to double track guitars this way using these two. Oh, and then take those two and have falter. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, wow, yeah, this really needs to. We need to beef up this frequency. Let's add some strings. You know? Yeah, like, and it's it's it it becomes like this whole thing where you know you're self-producing. Yeah. So you have to be able to discern your choices and be a little bit more. You have to kind of be your your worst critic while also being able to give the material a chance. Which something I think we've gotten really good at is trying to eliminate paralysis by analysis. Which is very difficult. Very very difficult. I I go up against it almost every episode. Because I hate my own voice a lot. And I've had to learn how to record, learn how to edit, learn how to EQ, learn how to do all the, the stupid stuff that I never thought I would ever need in my entire life. And you, you eventually, I think you, you can get like a, a pattern together and like a, a, a way to really drill down to maybe your own voice because you're the one that's hearing it so much. But it really is, okay, these are the sounds that I'm making. I don't like myself, so I'm going to analyze it even more and more and more. And then I'm just, okay, when do I release this? When do I just say, screw it and get it out and get it to where other people's feedback 
can actually be taken in rather than my own voice echoing in my head the entire time. I think that's one thing that me and Gabe kind of can do just having each other is, you know, I'll ask him one time, like, is this good or should I change it? And he'll be like, no, it's good. Keep it. And I'll just drop it at that. Yeah. I used to be very much of the, of the notion of it just needs to be perfect. It needs to be perfect. And really I'm just sort of like, sometimes good enough is better, better (laughs) better than most people. It's better than what a lot of people are. Some of the, some of the best ideas I feel like we've actually had in material we've that even that we've released were complete accidents where it was like, Oh, let's keep this. Like that was, that was, you know, we messed up there, but that was cool. Let's keep that. Like, I know I've seen that sometimes with, if we're just monkeying around with like guitar parts or layering or things like that, like I might stumble on something tone wise that's a completely the wrong thing, but it's like, oh, this sounds better. I mean, so for for you guys too, because this is all a fairly fresh band, fairly fresh project all the way through, and with that separation in there, I would feel like it would be a little bit harder to click and really like get on the the same page creatively. But it sounds like you guys really found your stride through everything, despite kind of that that distance right yeah i i mean we all have very similar interests and we all can sit back and kind of remove us and be like you know what i just dig the song i man i loved him so much because he'll get on our our messenger thread and be like man i just put it through my sound bar this sounds great man this is great and he's super vocal about it he's like the biggest cheerleader You, you need one of those Oh, absolutely. Like the, the, the other two guys in our band, Greg and Tim are some of the most positive people. And it's, it really, it really helps, uh, especially like with the distance and stuff, not to say that, you know, Tim won't tell you if he doesn't like something. Oh yeah. Like, He's vocal that way, that way too. And I appreciate that almost more sometimes where it's like, okay, I don't like, yeah. And just like, okay, <laughs> let's, let's work with this then and figure mm-hmm. it out. But Sometimes those choices, you know, it's good to have that voice and just being able to to say, okay, what's going to make this vibe more? And also something we've been trying to do more now is a lot of the time during the pandemic, um, because Travis and I are like the were became the de facto production guys right. for this band. Begrudgingly, was, we were, you yeah. know, <laughs> we were we were driving most of the creative process. Yeah. It's it's you know our song ideas, and it's not like there wasn't a lot of collaborative songwriting. And now that, you know, we can have people like over here in my studio to be able to record, we're be able to get more input and be able to say, you know, to get more things on structure, like um, just having Greg in for the new song for pocket is mm. just like, Oh, we went some directions. I don't think Travis and I would have gone by ourselves. Like we took it in some weird directions <laughs> and it's, yeah. I think a much better song for it. Well, it's also really beneficial that our bass player, Greg, is also a really good drummer. Oh, that helps. And so, you know, me and Gabe both don't play drums. <laughs> and so he'll, he can look at like the program stuff we have just to kind of get a vibe that's on time. He'll be like, no, no, that, that wouldn't happen that way. And I know, I know Tim's drumming. He's not going to do that. So I'm like, okay, well, then scratch that. How would he do it? It just it, it expedites the process. Yeah, I feel like that would help a lot, especially since there is so much of programming now using samples and, and trying to stay analog while still being very much digital in the, the workstation and everything else, because you, you don't want to feel manufactured, right? You don't want to feel like everything is formulaic, cookie cutter or whatever. And you want to feel, especially on like a 
a record if those things exist anymore, I guess, that everything feels natural and that the sounds that are coming out are the sounds that you would hear live. And that's one thing we actually, with Tim and his electric kit, you still get the performance. Right. Yeah. That was something really important to us is that, yeah, we could program drums all day, but that's not how the human plays it. And like having, having Tim do that is like, it makes it give such a different vibe, like such a different and like, it makes it less uh, mechanical, makes it more organic. I dig it. Travis, I want to go into to your history a little bit from Japan and, and the punk scene in there, because that really interests me. And then Gabe, I want to know how you started off, how you got into music. And then I think that you even scored films and stuff like that as well, if I remember right. So if, if you can talk a little bit about Japan and your experience with that, I would really, really like that. And just kind of contrast the, the two different ideas of what punk is over there versus like the music scene over here at all. The punk scene over there is strong. And one thing about Japan that I, I absolutely love about the culture over there is no matter what you're into, you can find someone else that's into it too. Right. And like diehard fans. I remember going to a bar once, uh, just like a local bar. And uh, it was a group meeting for this Japanese ice fishing club. Okay. And these guys saved up money all year to take a trip to like Eastern Europe and go ice fishing and like those little and just do that. And they were so about it. So they meet up, they go talk about ice fishing and show pictures. Oh yeah, I caught this one. on, <laughs> And they were stoked about it. But this was like in the Shonan region of Japan where it's like surfing is right the thing to do over right. there. You're like, and somehow this group of Japanese <laughs> ice fishermen that are on the beach, found each other. Yeah, that are on the beach and are all still connected. In, in this way and are able to find each other. That's yeah. amazing. And so that goes into the music too. And so you get like someone who is like, I love Blink-182 and I got all the CDs. I got this Blink-182. I know all the songs. I can sing them even though I don't speak English. I know every Blink-182 song and I'm a diehard fan and these are my friends. They feel the same way about it too. And they're just diehard and I respect the hell out of it. Because they know what they're about. Yeah. And so getting into that scene, especially since my name's Travis. Yeah. They were like, oh, Travis Barker. I'm like, I don't think <laughs> Yeah, not the, not the like, same oh, skill set, huh? Oh, you like punk rock? I'm like, I do. I was like, Travis. <laughs> of course. Of course you like punk rock. But over there, it was... And I got to shout out my buddy Roy. The first band I was in that ever did anything, we were called Culture Shock. And uh, we were a ska punk band and I was the white guy, hence Culture Shock. I like it. And, and we were a three-piece and my bass player, Roy, grew up in New Jersey. And his real name's Ryo, R-Y-O. Okay, okay. And his elementary school teacher couldn't pronounce Ryo, so they switched the Y and the O and they called him Roy. That's ridiculous, but and okay. So, yeah, but this was the, the 90s, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So he came back to Japan, and I remember just going to a bunch of shows and trying to talk to some people and see about starting a band. Me, I'm like 19 right. this time. 
And uh, his band, it was called the Harakiri Nation, which is a freaking punk rock name, man. But he saw his band play and I was like, dude, man, you guys rocked. Like, uh, when are you playing next? And he goes, oh, nice to meet you. My name's Roy with a perfect American accent. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> me and you are going to be friends. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. But he was like, hey, I got this other friend. His name's Kaki. He's a, he's a death metal drummer. And let's, let's start a ska band. And man, it was the coolest freaking thing. So how big was that guy's drum set? And what was it by the time that you saw it? <laughs> oh, I think we were the only ska band with a double kick. <laughs> but he, brought, he bought specifically for Culture Shock this piccolo tom to get those bop, bop, yeah. Like, Man, I, I had such a fun time with that band. But uh, that band was kind of fizzling out and then uh, started a new band with uh, a friend of mine, uh, Aaron, called My Life Story. And it was kind of, I'd say, like a C-list supergroup. Okay, I like it. Where Aaron, his previous band that was called Start From Scratch, they were signed to Universal. They were on a major label. Oh, wow, okay. And um, our drummer and bass player were on an indie label. They were in a band called Shove It. I was in Culture Shock. And then our other guitar player, Shintaro, they were, he was in a band called Child Lock. And they, they did like a tour of the U.S. They, were, they got out. And uh, it was just happenstance that we all weren't doing anything at the same time. And uh, we did that for a few years. Uh, toured up and down Japan. And I couldn't renew my visa anymore. Oh, okay. And so I had to leave Japan and then that's how I, that's what brought me to Austin. So they they couldn't do a musician as like a work visa or anything or No, cuz I was already there. Ah, okay. Okay. And I I mean I could do a different episode on all the stuff I know about visas in Japan, but it's <laughs> real hard to get one. Wow. That's a story upon itself. Yeah. But uh, that's what brought me to the U.S. was uh, a visa expiration. <laughs> that I think that yeah. brings most of us that are that are out in the world being like, "Oh man, I really or like Brexit was a, a big thing where they they all wanted mm. to stay there and they were like, "Nope, you can't get out. You voted for this. Bye." Yeah. So you came to Austin first, is that right? Yeah. My dad was still working, and my mom and dad bought a house in Austin. And then one of the guidelines in the HOA attached to the house was that one of the people on the mortgage would be living in. There. So my mom, my sister, my brother moved to Austin while me and my dad were still. And so I could have spun the globe and gone anywhere, but I hadn't seen my mom in a few while, a few months, years. <laughs> so I went and saw her and then okay. uh, started bartending here I, I came here i have four dollars to my name that's the true immigrant story i think right yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're my my sob story of a white dude moving to texas <laughs> the the good old american dream right where you had a family to go to yeah uh, but uh i had always been like a party dude yeah and that kind of carried on when i moved here um kept partying kept partying drinking a lot and uh, it put me in the hospital. I almost died. I was in ICU for 12 days. Wow. Uh, just, my, my girlfriend found me in our apartment, like, like on the floor. 
And we actually have a song out that's uh, all about it. It's not out yet. It, it's going to be coming, it's coming out. soon. It's coming soon. Wow. Yeah. I, I quit drinking about five years ago or so. I had a... Uh, Congratulations. Thanks. Right on. I had a uh, blacked out and then woke up in the middle of trying to commit suicide. Oh, shit. Oh, dang. So I, I kind of understand a little bit of that where it's really kind of like a wake up call being like, holy shit, I just scared the hell out of myself. I don't really want to drink anymore. Uh, I don't know how that was for you, but it was definitely like that for me. Like I just scared the shit out of myself for it. Yeah. I uh, when I came to it was eight days later. Holy shit. And they had me hooked up to a bunch of, you know, IVs and like they were clearing me out and they had, you know, tubes down my throat, all that. Um, they had to defibrillate me because uh, so they, they jump started me, got me back. And man, I was I don't remember anything from those eight days, but apparently I was a terror. Oh, yeah. And I was kept trying to escape so i was restrained i had like this vest that my hands like clipped into i was asking people who visited me for uh snippers so that they could you know bust me out of the hospital don't remember wow right so the doctor said hey if you go back to drinking like you did i had to restart you once and it gets exponentially harder if i have to do it again and so it's been it's been uh, about three years for me. Wow! But uh, after that, I kind of dove in. I was like, man, you know, I I had all but stopped playing guitar. Sure. Just because I was drinking, partying, going going out, and uh, this gave me something else to put my focus into. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I I read about this punk rock lottery thing, and I was like, well, here I go. You know, if I'm going to be serious about this, this will be a good way to see if I'm up to snuff. And here we are. <laughs> so, Gabe, talk to me about where where you started. When when did you start playing music? Uh, I was a choir kid. I was a choir nerd all through like elementary school and shit. My granddad, like a, he was a singer all through college and stuff. That's actually how like he met my grandma. The story goes like he uh, he was in he was a um is a retired presiding elder in the ame church so i grew up in a black church okay that's like my background the story goes like when he was in seminary my grandma who was a professor at the seminary was trying to get people men for a men's choir to tour and my grandfather was just cocky little shit (laughs) so like somebody was she couldn't stand him and they were like oh you should go look for you know billy he sings in the showers all the time you know he'd He's probably good. Little did she know he's like an operatic baritone oh. who uh, quit doing that to join the Air Force. Wow. <laughs> to piss off my great grandma. Yeah. And then like, I don't know, most of my other relatives aren't very musical. My uncle Billy is. I, I got put in choir in, in uh, church and like through school and stuff. When I was 10 years old, though, my uncle got me a guitar or at least like shit like gave me a guitar to start playing with. I got a guitar that like later that year for, for my birthday. I never really put it down, started doing lessons and stuff right after that's right. When we moved to, to Texas. Gotcha. So I kind of just like, that was all in right when we moved, I was like right around 13 years old was right. When this pop punk emergence came out of here there was a period when I was in high school, which funny enough, I went to high school with Travis's girlfriend. 
which is really weird. Small, Small world, world bullshit. Yeah, yeah. We looked him up in the yearbook, found him. Yeah, like literally like a week after we met, he's like, is this you? And sent me a picture from my junior junior year yearbook, which is really embarrassing. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Man, you're still cute. But like right around that time, there was, I, you probably have never heard of any of these bands, but uh, Cruiserweight, Dynamite Boy, and Riddlin Kids. Riddlin Kids, three yeah. Big ones. Yeah, Riddlin Kids is from Austin. Yeah. And uh, same with um, Recover. Recover is like a post, post-punk post band that's out of here um, right around that same time. Like all those bands at the same time went from being locals to being signed to national labels and going on Warp Tour right, and doing all right. this stuff. And like they were the thing that was the thing to do when you were in high school. Oh, if you're in a punk rock or in a pop punk, you go see those bands down at emos or you go see them at their clubs down there or like the back room, whatever. I because of a bunch of like family stuff, drama, like my senior year of high school, I moved back to Virginia. Okay, kind of took a lot of that experience I took here from that. Like I was playing with people in high school and stuff, just jamming, started a band my senior year of high school. We were terrible. <laughs> tail end of that year into that summer after I graduated is when I met the strobe light guys. Right. And uh, that's when we started herpes.net, you know, doing, I know they've told you that story already. It's just a ridiculous thing. It's just the herpes for a music community is just a, like, that's the name that it's just a ridiculous thing. You can't get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the only the umpt millionth person to make that. Well, joke. It is very cyclical too, right? Like, it keeps coming back. Whenever it's gone, it just keeps coming back. And I I like uh, also the fact that it's very teenage boy, funny yeah. punk shit where, oh, Blink-182 can talk about all the small things. Well, we're going to just push it one more step. Herpes. That's what we're going for. Well, what's funny about that whole thing is uh, at the time we were all in different bands, or at least most of us were. And Scott, a uh, drummer for Strobe Light, was at the time in a Blink-182 cover band that turned into an original band called Summer Nights. All right. With uh, Patrick Luby, our uh, our old guitar player, keyboard player. So you're not far off with yeah. the sense of humor <laughs> I there. That. Okay. But um, <laughs> yeah, I went to sc- I, I ended up going to college for music. I studied um, guitar and uh Choral conducting, I was in the touring choir, I was in jazz band, and I just basically for five years just was like immersed into learning the craft. And because I was in the touring choir and in jazz band, I was on the road. I was doing that from 17 years old to 22. That's insane. And then in 2005, so this is like this between sophomore and junior years when we started Strobe Light. So like right when I got out of school... I, I, in college, I was in a metal band. I literally quit that band to get into strobe life like more. And then when we got out of college and stuff, it was like, oh, this is a thing we really want to do. And next thing you know, that joke band you started when you were 19 ends up becoming almost 15 years of your life, you know, and uh, got to see, you know, most of the United States doing that. It's somewhere in the middle of there. I ended up working for a 70s band that was doing like high end parties I talked about earlier and stuff um, that was wild. And you're I'm playing with got to play with guys who are just like absolute monster players. Like um, one of the guys I got to play with Terrell Moody. I mean, he plays for Teddy Riley. He plays for J Cole. Yeah. He was B.O.B.'s drummer for a while. Like when you play with a rhythm section with them, like um, Dexter Whitaker is a bass player. Like he's like up there with like guys like Stanley Clark and Victor Wooten yeah, on that yeah, level. Yeah. Like those guys actually talk to each other. They're all friends with each other. Like that's the rhythm section I was playing with. I was playing guitar with. How nervous were you? 
Uh, it's terrifying, like the kind of level. Uh, so check this shit out. <laughs> I, Travis has heard the story a million times. Sorry, Travis. I, I can hear it again. I, uh, I'd been working as a roadie for the band for about a year. Um, this I was really down on my luck. Quit a job because a dude who was running it, I was doing computer repair, was like embezzling shit. Me and Chris from Strobe Light, another friend of ours, started a business doing it, but we it wasn't going well because the economy was like tanking. And so um, we found out that dude runs the 70s band, this dude Nigel was like, hey, if you guys want to work for me, you can. So we were working in his office and doing road crew work. So I saw the show multiple times a week for a year. So you in its three hour sets, no breaks straight through because they're professional the catalog of music yeah. <laughs> and the catalog is about six hours of music and there's no set list. So it's all being called from memory based off of what the vibe is from the band, from the crowd. So I come into work one day, my boss is like, Hey, you want to do a shot? And I'm like, it's nine in the morning. Why do you want to do that? And he's like, got some heavy news. We should do a shot. Oh, no. So I'm like, okay. So his office was in his house, his family's house. And I go into the kitchen, do a shot. And he's like, Ricky, our guitar player, died last Holy night. shit. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, shit, that sucks. So he's like, I've got a guy or one of our agents is recommending a dude to come over. He's going to try to learn some of the songs. And I was like, I could do it. And he was like, you could do it. So uh, in 72 hours, I learned three hours of music. And uh, I played a show with them. And right when we got done, he offered me a job playing guitar for him. And I played guitar for that band for like 10 years. What a what a crazy few days, huh? And it's wild because like I, I you get up playing with a lot of these like guys who are ringer musicians. This is just kind of like their side hustle game. Yeah. Like they're doing like a lot of bigger stuff. And it's like, oh, they also do this thing. And meanwhile, this is like my my thing while I'm doing on top of strobe right. light. And let me tell you, nothing will humble you more than having like an A grade like bass player drummer shoot you a look because you missed a cue or because you played the wrong chord or because you weren't paying attention to like the groove changing. And it's like that humbles you real fast because it's like that piece of paper that you got in fucking music school doesn't mean anything <laughs> because you weren't paying attention. But I learned a lot like it, all that stuff. I learned a lot about the music industry from that. And that all fed back into strobe light. It all fed into making it a product. Yeah. Being able to say, okay, like we can have our, our, and also have like gimmicky stuff that, you know, can draw people in, make us, you know, a thing. And I learned a lot from that. You know, I got to do strobe light for a really long time. I did write on until I, you know, literally just couldn't do it anymore. At one point between strobe light and that I was doing, you know, upwards of 300 gigs a year. Seems excessive. Yeah. It's exhausting. It, 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 there's one time I remember doing a run of shows with the seventies band and literally having to fly from Ohio to Orlando to meet up with strobe light to do a run of shows back up the East coast. And they had all my gear and stuff. I was flying with nothing, just a backpack. They already had all my gear in the trailer. And I was literally having a show. I literally showed up. I shoved a bunch of food from catering in my mouth and then ran on stage because <laughs> my flight was running late and that exhausts you. Um, I stopped doing the seventies thing, did strobe light more. And then we moved here. That's that sounds like the unglamorous part of rock star life. It's, a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I'll say that. Like, that's the stuff nobody really talks about. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, the most sleep I've got was, you know, sitting in this airplane terminal because I can't sleep on a plane because a kid's kicking the back of my seat because they're going to Disney World. 
And they were just real excited. And I can't hate on that kid because I'd be excited too if I was going to Disney World. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't be mad because you you know, but you can be annoyed and you can give dirty looks. You can be like, Oh yeah, excuse me, ma'am. Get your shit under control. Cause I, I don't have any kind of patience for this, especially on a plane. That's the worst. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like you you hit the the tip of, of exhaustion for the most part. Cause I mean it it sounds like you didn't have that much time to really pull for yourself either because 300 gigs is almost the whole year plus on top of the strobe light stuff plus on top of any other work that you're doing i mean how, how are you balancing that out between keeping yourself sane and then doing all the work that you're doing well there's a reason i'm in therapy now Chris. there you go so. all right i like it i like it <laughs> You don't. That's the thing that sucks is like now it's like, th- okay, so there's a thing and I talked about this on another show I did and something people don't realize is that burnout is real. Yeah. And that's something people don't acknowledge is that you can run yourself into the ground. That has physical effects, you know, things that, you know, you might not think or, you know, just directly related to, you know, your mental health. Um, it's just exhaustion, just completely ruin you. And that's a bit, that's it. Like something I'm noticing a lot of bands, if you're seeing bands that are just saying, okay, we're done touring right now, or they're, you know, they're just decided that they're going to scale it back. A lot of them is because the pandemic was the first time they had any chance to be home and have a normal quote unquote normal life. Yeah. You know, like I know people who they were full-time touring and this is the, the last year and a half is the most they've been home in the last decade. It's, it's nuts. And it's something that I always forget. Uh, about myself because I, I I work a day job where I sell stuff to other people so I connect with other people all the time and my day job didn't really go away too much during the pandemic I, I was off for like a month and a half and then was on phones for the whole time until I got back to the store so I was able to still have that like human connection part of it where the the other downside of the pandemic where everybody's stopping they don't know how to handle being stopped. They don't know how to handle the fact that, oh, nothing is happening around me. I have time to reflect. I don't want to reflect. Why am I reflecting? I don't want to do this. This is not good for me. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Way to point a finger. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm a bar bartender. I'm a bar manager place now. And everything was shut down. Yeah. And my entire day is talking to people and, you know, playing, you know, therapist for a lot of these people. And it was tough to see some of my regulars, uh, you know, when I was able to see them again, because things have opened up, um, the past few months, uh, vaccines are a plenty. Everyone in the band's got theirs. People are coming out again to see them now. And just the look, they're so happy Yeah, that they're just out yeah it's a real thing and human connections a real thing for me that was how i got kind of my my extrovertedness out right and when you when i can't work and do that now gabe has to deal with it so like hey you know we have this one day a week where we have to go and do the the writing stuff because if we don't i'm going to go crazy gabe (laughs) <laughs> that that's that's great. I I I can see that. And so one of the things that I'll ask you about because it's something that I've contended with 
as a, a bar manager or, or a bartender, how do you do that without drinking? Or, or how do you feel comfortable doing that? You know, when you see the angry drunks, the sloppy drunks, and you remember that that used to be you, yeah. it reaffirms your decision not to drink. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, I was actually afraid to drink early, early on. So I didn't start drinking until like 22, 23 for the most part, because everything that I saw growing up was that angry drunk, right? Was, was that side of it. So I was like, I don't want to be mm-hmm. that ever. And then I figured out that, oh, I'm just talking way too much. And then it turns into, oh, why am I alone with my own thoughts? That's not safe either. So all of, yeah. all of that works out. And like, I can go to shows and not have any kind of problem because I'm there for music, which is like my driving force right. for it, right? So that, that's been a really nice thing to be able to go in there and be like, the only thing that I care about is the sounds that are coming into me. And this is my release for the whole thing. So it made me feel a lot better. And then ginger ale still a thing. So that's, that's fine. It makes me feel like I had something. Yeah. Yeah. They, they got, you know, Topo Chico and all the sparkling waters and, you know, this, that, and the other. Like, I, I don't need a, to go and have a beer when I go out. Right. And finding those alternatives and kind of seeing what works for you uh, definitely helped. I made it a point that after I quit drinking, probably two months after I quit drinking, I had to go to my old favorite bar yeah, and not drink there. Because if I could do that and not be tempted, then I just conquered it. Yeah, for and sure. And I knew that everything else going forward was going to be okay. And that I could hang out with people because, you know, it's, it's a regulars bar. Everyone knows each other. I needed to make sure that I could go out and still have that social connection. And there, there's people who, who can do it. And there's other people that can't do it because it's, you know, that's, it is tied to, this is where I go and I get my beer and my shop. Right. Right. And for those people, it, they find another avenue in which to go and put their energy in. And a lot of times it's like, uh, making a new friend group, uh, it's finding new hobbies, uh, you know, this, that, or other, whatever works for you. But I am a bartender yeah, and I need to be able to be comfortable in that environment. You know, I've been doing that for over a decade now. It's kind of my thing. Right. Right. It's kind of ingrained <laughs> in you. It's, it's part of who you are at this point, isn't it? Yeah. So that's how I dealt with it. And just making sure that I could be comfortable, still be able to you know, shoot the shit with all the, the people that I, I had been serving before. Yeah. Cause I think that was the, one of the harder things for me. Cause all my friends are still very much all about going out, going out to the bar, at least, you know, those years ago, now they're all older. And then they're feeling the fact that COVID happened, they gained 30 pounds and we all hate each other. So that's, that's a, another thing, part of it where it's, that that connection went kind of away because if you're not doing something that you're kind of used to doing and being a part of this this group that all we did was go out and drink like now you feel a little bit more like an outsider and that that makes it a little bit harder to connect so it was it was nice for me that i had a couple people that were just like yeah come on in i'm not going to bother with you if you don't want to drink no problem everything's kosher right mm-hmm. so that that helped and i, I don't know if if you had that but it's definitely something that was like, okay, I can, I can do this. I can feel comfortable around myself, which is the most, most important. Well, you, you really have, I mean, with, 
yourself as well. It, you know, we both had kind of a traumatic, you know, aha moment. And we're like, well, we haven't been playing this game right. Have no, we, we have not. No. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. No. So if you know inside yourself that there needs to be a change and there needs to be a break in the routine, then there's nothing but to do it. Right. And I'm very much a, a give it a hundred percent type of person. And I, I'm a completionist and, you know, to a fault, <laughs> ask Gabe. Yeah. <laughs> That's the truth. But, you know, when you're driven to do something, the only person that's going to stop you is yourself. Bottom line. For sure. For sure. And that's why you guys actually finished that five-week song session with your other generation just right in front of you the entire time. Absolutely. <laughs> man. Oh, man. Our, I will say one thing, right? And there's no name, so no harm, right? Right. So our our drummer, when we, when we were doing sound check, oh, he's never going to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So our drummer during sound check, you know, they say, oh, like, okay, yo, give me some kick. Like you're yeah. whoever's running sound that night. He goes, doom. What? And Wait, then he what? Like, and I know you were on sound, Chris, so you, this is confounding. But he went, that's, that's it. it. That's it. And he looked around like, nailed it. <laughs> I know. And it wasn't a joke. It was, it was real. No. 100% serious. That's serious. And so that I looked at Gabe me. and then the sound guy goes, can you do it again? It broke the sound guy's brain because he was like, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I can see that. Oh. I proudly hang my you stink metal. <laughs> <laughs> I've got mine somewhere right, around right here. Right by my guitar stand to always remind oh, me. That's yeah, that shit's humbling as hell. That's really funny. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can imagine, like, I can see that sound guy's face and be like, oh, is that it? Do you really you, want you me to just hear his eyebrows? <laughs> That's a really good way to put that. I like that. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So one of the, one of the things that you guys talked about a couple times with Fortune Hearts, especially, is content and product. Both words I hate, but is a thing now because you have to have content because there's no other way to to really get your name out there. So what I'm wondering from you guys is. A, Gabe, your your kind of experience with the 70s band and that that level of professionalism. And then Travis going from kind of like that punk scene in Japan and then coming here where you're starting basically all over from acoustic. Where did that idea of really making content come from with this project? With me, my whole songwriting process comes. If it sounds good on an acoustic, you can make it sound good and within a full band setting too, and vice versa. And I always been a fan of the you know, the punk goes acoustic yeah. albums and just kind of seeing what you can do with arrangement. Again, I I had years of just sitting on this and sitting on that, and finally the the right team came together to kind of build it out into a full band setting and. I have to kind of remove myself sometimes and be like, well, that's not the way it goes. And then Gabe like, well, it is now. <laughs> I was like, well, I, I didn't know about this one. I, I don't know about that. And we're like, okay. And then that goes back to, you know, I just kind of trust the other members in the band be like, okay, do you think it's good? You think it's good? Like, okay, cool. I'll leave that one out then. You know, it's not the way I had it in my head, but it's better now. Yeah. And 
that's uh, back to getting in my head and being the hundred percent completionist and just kind of mulling it over and mulling it over and mulling it over again. You know, the best thing about playing with everyone else is I'm no longer my own echo chamber. That's great. Yeah. And with, you know, the experience of everyone else in the band too, like uh, Tim and Greg both have been in the Austin punk scene for years and years and, you know, they just never stop playing shows. And so they have that experience that they bring. And, you know, I, I don't have any of the Austin experience because (laughs) (laughs) it's a whole new scene for you. Well, this is the first band I've had in America. Right. I mean, rap. Sometimes I just like to wrap my head around that. (laughs) That is kind of a mind fuck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, even, I I don't even actually think I've thought about that till right this moment. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's that's what I like to kind of reflect on every once in a while because it, it's just insane. Like when you hear the stories, that there's never really like a step back. Sometimes to look at everything that you've done and be like, "Holy shit, this has been a short amount of time, and we've done kind of a lot." And these people are great. I, I'm definitely the type of person that's like, okay, well, what's next? Okay, yeah. Yeah. And okay, that's cool. That's in the can. Cool. What's next? I have this new idea. I, you know, what about this riff? Do you think, how do you feel about this? Blah, 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 blah. And okay, well, cool. Slow down. We still need to go and pay our, our mix engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the last two. <laughs> so we don't even really know how it fully sounds yet. So it's okay. Just hold yeah, on a so, second. Uh, hold on. On, bud. <laughs> but the cool thing about it is like we end up having a bunch of songs that are all in different stages of production at the yeah. same time. and that is like it's very comforting to be able to know okay like we've got this in the works this is almost completed this one you know we uh we need to get it out of demo phase so we can start tracking it okay we've got a couple like riff ideas that are kind of floating around we can come back to you know then there's back catalog ideas where it's like okay this is like 12 to 24 bars of an idea that never went anywhere. <laughs> and like, could see where we're going to go. with. And just like for kicks, we'll dig out some of that stuff that we did during quarantine Yeah, and be like, Oh wait, that was cool. And then it's like, Oh wait, and send that to Greg and Tim. We're like, Oh, where'd this come from? It's like, this is an April man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, and it, 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 like, it's, it's really cool to come back to something that, you know, you originally thought like, Part of there's a thing that I didn't understand. This is something I struggled with with, when I was with Strobe White, and something I kind of discovered over quarantine is that writer's block does not mean that you're not coming up with ideas. It just means that you think your ideas suck. And so it's not because you can't just turn creativity off. Right. I highly recommend Ed Sheeran's songwriter documentary on Apple. There's it basically an analogy makes that the idea like your creativity is like a tap and get the and it's always running water the problem is is that when you open the tap the first time or every once in a while when you haven't really utilized it or trust it there's just shit water yeah. that comes out of it just like the worst brown 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 there is but you just have to let it run and just get the ideas out And then eventually you end up falling into something where it's like, okay, I think this is okay. But the thing you don't realize is that you can just take that shit water and run it through a Brita filter and you can clean it up. And so those ideas, those things that came out initially, 
they they may have seemed rough, but you can refine them. That doesn't necessarily mean they were bad. And so a lot of the time, like things that I've completely forgotten about, or I'll start just futzing around with my computer and go through my projects folder and be like, oh, what was this? And open it up and be like, oh, this was way cooler. It's just we recorded it poorly or like the idea just wasn't put down correctly. We just need to refine it and then come back to it. And that really, I feel like we've really fallen into a stride of what our overall process is now. So we can be like, okay, what's the next thing? Yeah. Like now I feel more comfortable now that we've been doing this a little bit that when Travis is like, what's next? And be like, oh, well, we've got this on the menu rather than be like, ah, <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> I like it. Well, and also we have shows coming up. Yeah. That's another thing. It's like, we're playing live now, which is bananas. Yeah. I was going like, to ask you about that here in a minute, but I, I do want to say so I, I saw Ed Sheeran on uh, Hot Ones, and he, he did yeah. a great job, which is amazing because I didn't think that would happen. For, for an Englishman. Right. <laughs> I was expecting his face to be a lot more red. It wasn't, and I was a little upset about it. But he, he was saying a couple of things that, that interested me. One was how he came up actually in like the, the hip-hop and then open slam mic poetry scene which I thought was really cool because you, you kind of see how that can easily be done where you're going into a completely different community and now you stand out in that community. And in, yeah. thankfully for him, it was in a good way, right? I don't know if, if Travis can kind of feel that way with Japan, but it might, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, 90% of the people in Japan are Japanese. Right. And so if you're in a band as a foreigner, all of a sudden you have a spotlight on you, which can help or hurt you either way. Uh, it just kind of depends on what you want to do with that. And it's just like, okay, well, either this guy's going to be great and they expect that out of you. And then if you're not, they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. his name isn't Travis, really. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or it's not Travis. Barker. Yeah, he's missing half of it at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the other things that he said that kind of goes in with what you were talking about, Gabe, though, was that he would go back and play the song for someone and then uh, they said it was crap. And then he was like, all right, well, I'll just give that to Bieber. That's fine. Whatever. And then next thing you know, his manager is calling him and be like, why didn't you get why didn't you do this? Like you could have done this whole song by yourself, but you just gave it to someone else. So it kind of goes in with, oh, yeah, I didn't think it was that good. I didn't think it would hit the, the album. And now you guys are telling me that it's great because it's actually out in the open. Like there's, there's that feedback in there and now it's, oh, it's, it's taking that, that what you think is shit and it is now refined in, in someone else's voice at that point too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, a lot of it's just having, I don't know, perspective. That's a good way. That's to something it. that, that's something age has given me. That's something that, you know, I'm 35 now. 25-year-old Gabe was very impatient and also had blue hair. <laughs> and that wasn't a good thing for the world. <laughs> but 35-year-old Gabe is a lot more patient and is trying to be a lot more aware of his own um, creative prejudices. Something that really got me out of my head was doing... Uh, I don't know if you know, I did improv comedy for a while. No, that's awesome. It's actually how I met my girlfriend, Haley. The song back at the beginning is about a period where 
over the course of about three, four months, I had the worst tendonitis I've ever mm. had where I basically was losing use of my left hand for an extended period of time. So that made like playing with strobe light really hard. I had to play with a brace on all the time. There's some practices I literally just had to stop and I couldn't. And then uh, we were having some stuff going on with the band. Um, a girl I was dating for a while ended up breaking up with me. It was a really bad scene. And um, I decided instead of taking all that negativity and just kind of like, you know, putting it in the dark place, I ended up signing up for an improv comedy class in Norfolk. An improv 101 thing. It ended up being a lot of fun because it's more like improv 101 is kind of almost like comedy tony robbins it's like hey you can do this yeah like the people you're in class with they're not comedians but i was literally i think one of the only people that was an artist of any kind that was in the group all the other people were like a nurse <laughs> or like there was one other person she ran a theater but she didn't really do a lot of acting sure and it really got me out of my head because you have to basically it's uh the way the improv that they kind of teach and the way a lot of this works is not like whose line it is in any way it's more like improvised three act theater. Okay. Or like an improvised one act theater and like, uh, like play. And you have to kind of just, you're working together to create a story almost. And you're working together to create that scene and then hope something funny comes out of it. Right. Which naturally it does because it, life just does that. It, you don't have a chance to be like, oh, that idea sucked. Once you do it, it's done. You're never going to do it again. Yeah. Cause it's already over. Like it's already out. You, you can't take it yeah, back because it's live. Exactly. And so like I, I took up through Improv 401. So I was taking wow. improv classes for about a year and a half. I was taking sketch comedy writing classes. And I was on like, I was on two different house improv teams. I think three different house improv teams. Actually, there was a while where I was doing more comedy than I was music. And I was able to do some uh, musical improv too with a short form group that does that kind of whose line is right, it anyway right. style improv. And uh, it's freeing. Your brain just kind of like, you just have to trust it to be like, all right, I'm just doing my thing. And whatever I do, I hope it's good. Yeah. And if it sucks, well, that's good enough. <laughs> it takes you out of your head. It makes it so when you're actually writing or when you're collaborating to just shut the fuck up and just go. It makes you live <laughs> in the moment, right? Like it, it, makes, it yeah, makes you keep yeah. going. And it's like if you have a broken string or if your fucking samples just drop out at the the back of the the PA like you have to keep going you have to keep playing so it's not like you can you can really like think about it too much you can say oh yeah that sucked let me move on and let me think about this in a better way later on but you got to trust your instincts too right yeah it also teaches you the power of silence I like that this is something that that's Haley's superpower Haley's superpower is to go into a scene to walk off a back line into a scene and then just make a look don't even say anything just make a look or do an action or make a reaction to something that's happening. And a lot of time that's more powerful than you coming out and trying to say, as my old, our old improv teacher used to say, coming out and going whack a whack of my balls right, or something right. stupid. Something he used to say is that sometimes the way you say something is more important than the funny thing you said. It's all about timing and, and, and cadence a lot. And that's, yeah. And that's music. Yeah. Like it's the same thing. Yeah, it's the exact same thing. That that makes a lot of sense. I want to we're going to wrap up here shortly, but I want to uh ask three questions here in in, in a second cuz I I think that's a really really interesting perspective for the the uh the improv comedy and and having that does that help with your writing at all now? 
for music? Uh, it makes me less of an asshole, I think. I don't know if he can agree with that. <laughs> no, okay. I don't uh, think I mean- <laughs> <laughs> Like what you said, silence is killer, right? Silence is golden, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the art the art of being no, quiet. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like I with my creative process, it it's more of a throw it at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. And I think when you know said thing actually sticks, then rolling with it is the creative process that we can kind of like get behind. Yeah, it makes it easier to just kind of yes and an idea and just yeah. keep going with it. Well, it, it's it's much better than creating your own uh, wall, right? Like in, in like creating your own parameters to stick into, because if you do that, then you have to fit into this little box every single time, and that doesn't work out very well, right? No, no, not about boxes here. <laughs> no, I feel like it's it's something that you and I have actually really gone into, in that like we're not trying to write music to sound a specific way. Like what we're writing is just kind of coming out. Yeah, and whatever happens kind of well, happens. It's it's definitely been the most organic songwriting process that I've ever had. That's fantastic. So far. Now, I do want to ask, so we brought up live shows earlier. With with you guys, you haven't really played a live show, right? We played one. one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> played one, and I kind of an asterisk at that, but it was a good one. So for you guys... Because I, I I think this is another thing that that's kind of prevalent now with music too is that idea of how you can actually make the biggest impact. Is it through touring or live shows, or is it through content creation and making this persona online and using the algorithms, whatever hashtags are, and and how those work? I feel like we're kind of just figuring that out still. Like we've been in a bubble for so long that we really haven't had a chance to really war that. Okay. With the new environment that we're going to be playing in, because we never played a pre-pandemic show. Gotcha. Okay. The attitude behind the shows that I've actually gone to is overwhelming positive. Yeah. People are happy to be out. There's, There's that kind of, the magic's in the air. You know, people are enjoying it. And I kind of just, uh, I want to be able to go and put a show on that reinforces the content that we have been putting out. And, you know, we're not just an internet band. Right. We're, we're here. And I think playing shows and having those available for people to actually go to means more to them now than it did before. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, it was it was taken away. You don't you don't understand what you're missing until it's it's fully gone for sure. Absolutely. So, what do you think keeps you guys motivated to continue to pursue music? It's fucking fun. <laughs> yeah. I like that. <laughs> it's really. I mean i I haven't been this motivated to go and write and to play and to perform in years, and. I found the right group of people that I'm comfortable with doing that. And that means the world, you know, you know, by chance, I met this dude cause he's got a cool shirt and pin on by chance. We end up being in a band and by chance we end up clicking and making, like, making good music together. You know, what else could you ask for? Yeah, I dig it. Gabe, how about you? 
uh, I can't imagine doing anything else. Like I've just been doing this for my entire life at this point. Like I've been playing in bands since I was, you know, 15 years old. <laughs> so like I've been doing music since I was literally six. So it's like, I can't imagine doing anything else. Like uh, it's just one of those things for my, my, for my day job, I work doing audiobooks and shit. Like that's my, like part of big part of what I do. Like, it's all surrounding that it's all surrounding art. And for me, like even with like the comedy thing, it's all art. I can't imagine not creating and music being like the first love. It's the big one. It's like, I can't imagine that. And like the fact that I get to do this with, you know, this dude and the other dudes in my band and stuff is it's great. The fact that I got to do it for so long with strobe white is a fucking mirror. Yeah. And it's, that's something that I can't, you know, you can't put a dollar sign on. That's just, I, I consider myself really lucky. I consider myself hashtag blessed to, uh, you know, be able to do this shit. And, you know, I'm really excited about what we're doing right now. And I'm just excited to show more people that, you know, it's not just stuff that was recorded in a closet. We actually are a band that right, can play right. together in front of people and put on a good show. That know? might be my, uh, my most hated hashtag. I'm not sure. Uh, I think it's, I think it's because <laughs> people say it out loud. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I like it. I don't, I don't hate that they're blessed. I hate that they say they yes. are. Yeah. I said it ironically. <laughs> yes. I hope yes. you understand. No, I, no, I get it. I get it. But some people don't. And it, it really, it hurts my heart. Uh, what do you think that you guys have learned most about yourself throughout your music journey? Through fortune hearts or pe- period, period. Um, I can't not do it to kind of echo what Gabe was saying. My dad is a guitar player. He's been playing professionally, you know, since he was 13. I think he told me his first paid gig was, and he just never stopped. Paid gig? He was a... 13? Yeah. During the the 70s and 80s, he was a studio musician in California. So he'd be running up and down from Northern California to LA uh, just to go and put tracks down for people. And I remember... (laughs) One story when I was five, five or six, it was probably, it was at the church. Uh, they had all the kids go and sing like, you know, we wish you a Merry mm-hmm. Christmas or whatever. And I was the kid who went to every single mic and was like, check, 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 check. Go up to the next mic. Yeah, check, 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 check. Stick my head in the kick drum. Check, <laughs> check, 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 check. <laughs> I was like, I guess we know who Scott's kid is. <laughs> Oh, that's that's good. I like that. I like that. Uh, yeah, just uh, to echo what Gabe said, I've been around it my entire life, and I that's the way I want to keep it. I like it. How about you, Gabe? Uh, from do you watch Ted Lasso? Yeah, it's so I want to hate that show. I really do because it comes off cheesy, but it's so sincere. It's so nice. Everything is so beautiful about it, and I, I love it so much. But it's one of those things where it, it seems like it's too saccharine that you should hate, but you can't. There's, it's impossible. I absolutely love it. I don't know if you've gotten through season one. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, to quote Danny Rojas, uh, football is life. And like, really, that's, that's the way I look at it with, with music. I've learned more about myself as a human being. Um, and I've had my personal fortitude tested in ways that I would have never imagined from just doing music, from just being, you know, like from, from creating art, recording it, writing it to 
you know, touring to being in a van with my best friends and doing this whole thing in weird places, getting stranded <laughs> places, learning how to survive just in the most bizarre ways you'd ever know, like learning how to change alternator belts on the side of the road. Yeah, being a whole places. ass mechanic. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like I've learned so much just about myself from a thing I thought was just going to be a hobby I was going to pick up at the age of 10. <laughs> and I don't know what kind of adult I would be without that, but I don't want to think about that because that guy's fucking boring. Yeah. I like who I've become because of music. I like who I've become because of, you know, this journey it's taken me on and I want to see where else it goes. You know? I dig it. Well, I, I think that's it. I think that's a, a good way to to tie a bow on the whole thing. So I really, really appreciate it, guys. Uh, thank you for keeping up with all my uh, technical safus, by the way, too. Oh, no <laughs> worries, dude. Uh, it's all good. So this, when is your uh, next song dropping? We just dropped one. I don't know when this is going to release, but we dropped a video called When You're Here, Your Family. Yeah. It was animated by the great Charles Ray Hastings. He goes by the artist name of Solo Monk. He was in a really badass band called Latin for Truth. We were familiar with um, doing stuff with Strobe Light. I've been a big fan of his art for a while. Like he's a musician, he's a painter, he's an animator, and uh, the video is completely handmade. Animated got by the guy. The guy did it in three days, which ridiculous. is ridiculous. Ridiculous. That's so much work. I know, and it's it's a, and we gave him the song, and he just went with it, and yeah, we commissioned it on a Wednesday, and we had the completed file on Friday. That's not even three days. That's that's insane. Yeah. How do you how do you even render that? Whatever. All right. That I don't. I I can't wrap my head around it. But anyway, um, you guys, talented. Yeah, I think that's he's the, talented yeah. as fuck. <laughs> Uh, check him out. Um, if you go to the video on our Facebook and Instagram, um, he's linked there, but also, uh, I'll go to our socials. It's fortune hearts on everything. And, uh, it's, uh, just find us on Spotify and stuff. Um, that video, uh, we're really, really happy with and, uh, check it out. It's wild. It's trippy. It's fun. 